you've been with us for the past year, uh, we've been in the book of Acts, and we've been walking through the book of Acts chapter by chapter, and talking about how the Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts, and uh, we've come to a point where I had to make a decision, and uh, we got to chapter 21, and I was like, okay, we can either go back to it in January, because you might know Christmas is coming up, um, or we can try to do uh, seven chapters in two weeks. So we're doing seven chapters in two weeks this morning. We're, you're going to get a lot. You're going to get like a Rocky montage this morning. Um, but I feel good about it because um, the, chapters 21 through 26 have a really common theme. And that theme is that Paul is telling his story again and again and again. Paul is just defending himself before ruler after ruler after ruler. So I feel good. I think we can actually do this this morning. We're going to um, kind of talk through chapters 21 through 26. And, and the main theme is, is, uh, is that we're going to talk about our stories and, and how to tell our stories. Because what we see in this is Paul defends himself, and he shares his story, and he shares how God impacted his story. And in the same way, you and I have a story to tell. You and I have a story of, of seeing God uh, in our life, or maybe not at this point. But if you are following Jesus, he is writing a new story in your life. And none of our stories are perfect. Um, all of us live with mistakes, live with pain, um, probably have regrets, but also, hopefully, if, if Jesus is a part of our story, we're able to see the redemption there, too. And so, as a pastor, I'm always thinking about my story, because I have to tell it a lot, or at least give you bits and pieces of my story. And, and so, I've learned over the years to tell my story, because I've never thought my story was particularly exciting. You know, I grew up in a... In, in a Christian home. And uh, I, I made a decision in a Southern Baptist church. I came forward at age six uh, to, to receive Christ. And I prayed the prayer, and I got baptized a, a week later. But when I was in high school, I burned out on the church. I burned out on Jesus. I, I walked away from God for a short time. But God brought me back when I left home. When I went to college, God brought me back. He brought a friend in my life named Pablo who kind of took me uh, by the shoulder and said, hey, you really need to get serious about Jesus. And so I did, and it changed my life. I was changed by uh, a friendship. And so I tell you bits and pieces of my story every week, hopefully the good and the bad. Hopefully I'm not making myself into too much of a hero, and if I am, you can smack me off my pedestal. Um, but we all have a relationship with our story. We all feel a certain way about our story. Some, some of us may feel just gratitude when we think about what God's done in our life. Just thankful for the way that God has transformed us. Some of us, may, we may feel like our story is incomplete, like we're still searching. It's like you too, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, like our story is, is still being shaped um, some of us might be working through some of our, our past um, trauma, difficulty that we experienced. Some of us might look at our story even with a sense of inadequacy. Like, I just haven't seen, like, God's power as much as I want to in my life. Or, you know, like, this week I had a, 
conversation with a missionary who, when he was a teenager, uh, he healed a man dying from cancer, uh, a young man with a family, husband and father. And I was just sitting there like, yeah, I can't top that. You know, I can't top that story. Um, God healed my hamster one time. I've told you guys that story. But that, that really doesn't compare um, to healing a human. Um, and so sometimes when we think about our story, we might feel like, oh, I'm a little inadequate. Or my story's a little inadequate. Or it's not as powerful as I would like it to be. And what we see at the end of the book of Acts is that Paul tells his story again and again and again. It's basically him defending himself and his faith as he's being um, threatened with, with death, imprisonment, all of that. He's defending himself, but he's also sharing how God transformed his life again and again and again. And when we left off in chapter 21, he was going to Jerusalem. And he was going even though he knew it would be dangerous. And, and he gets there and he visits James, who's the leader of the church, or church in Jerusalem, and then he goes into the temple, which is a really brave thing to do. Kind of a stupid thing to do. Um, because if you, know, uh, if you know about Paul, like Jerusalem and the temple specifically is a really dangerous place for him to show his face. Because Paul was a Pharisee. He was a leader in the synagogue, in the temple. He was one of the, the greatest champions of the cause against Christianity for the Jews. He helped kill Christians. And then Jesus showed up and he did a complete 180. And all of a sudden he was the greatest champion for Christ at that time. And so all of the people left in leadership in the, in the temple would have seen him as a traitor as a complete traitor. So how dare he show his face here in Jerusalem? And they tried to kill him on the spot. But the Roman soldiers intervened. They actually picked him up and carried him out before the mob could kill him. And so what we have in the next three chapters is Paul is just defending himself over and over and over again. First to the Roman soldiers, then to the Jewish council, and then a mob tries to kill him again. And so they send him to the governor up north, Roman governor up north in Caesarea. His name is Felix. And Paul testifies before Felix, and he decides not to kill him, but leaves him in prison to please the Jews. And not just for a short time, He's left in prison for two years. Paul sits in prison until Felix the governor is replaced with another guy named Festus. And so Paul has a second chance to plead his innocence to Festus, who's, who's uh, more uh, receptive. Paul appeals that he doesn't want to go to Jerusalem to face trial. He's a Roman citizen. He wants to go to Rome. And so Festus agrees to that. But however, before he sends him off, another ruler is in town. There's a lot of names, rulers, all this stuff. You can look it up, you know, Wikipedia, it's accurate. Um, but there's a guy named King Agrippa who comes to town. King Agrippa is the last of the line of King Herod, if you remember that guy. We'll talk about him in a couple weeks. Um, King Herod. And he wants to hear Paul's case. Like, Paul's case is famous. And Agrippa is from a Jewish background. And he just wants to hear Paul's case. 
And, and, and Festus wants to hear it again because he doesn't even know what Paul is being accused of. He doesn't even know what to say to the emperor why Paul is standing before him. So they decide to hear him out again. And so that brings us to chapter 26. And keep in mind, Paul has been sitting in jail for two years. Two years. Two years is a long time to think. To, to be stuck and think about your story. We, got, we haven't experienced anything like that recently, right? Being stuck for two years. Um, Paul had two whole years to sit in prison and wonder if anything is going to change. He had to keep trusting, keep holding out hope for these long two years. Usually when we think about Paul's suffering, what he endured, we think about an event him getting beat up, him getting stoned almost to death, him getting attacked by a mob. But I wonder what he would find worse, that traumatic event or being stuck for two years. It's a different kind of suffering where he has to just sit there and keep the faith and be patient and hold on to hope. And I don't know if in your life, if you've ever been in that holding pattern before, when you're just waiting for God to do something and you're just waiting for something to happen. And sometimes that's what our faith requires of us is to just wait and to be patient and expect God to do something. Sometimes we have long pauses in our stories where God seems to shut everything down. And it could be health related, could be job related, or it could be a loss that you, uh, you didn't expect. You know, just like now that these 600 families that lost their homes this week, like that's traumatic, but then what are those next six months going to look like, right? Where they just have to wade through that and, and figure it out. And so have you been in a situation where all of life stops and you just wonder, God, what are you up to? Why this disruption? Those are times that can really test our faith. And so as Paul, what we see is Paul, as he's stuck in his isolation, his faith doesn't waver. It actually gets stronger. He, he's thinking, he's praying. Um, he's probably grieving all of the loss that he's had and wondering what God is up to. And yet we see him emerge after two years still as confident as ever in his faith, just as committed, if not more so. And so here he is, here he's standing before these two rulers who have power to decide what to do with him, and it's his time to shine. And this is what we're going to read, Acts 26, starting in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 8. It says this, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by, the, by Jews, O king. 
Why is, it, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So we're going to just pause the story there because it goes on, and I thought I'd break it up so that it wouldn't be so much coming at us at once. But what do you notice about that moment? Because we certainly see Paul rise to the occasion. He's like ready to go. He knows what he wants to say. He's going to speak. But what else? The first thing I noticed is, is what King Agrippa said and what that must have felt like to Paul. You have permission to speak. You have permission to speak. Think about how long Paul waited to hear those words. You have permission to speak. And I was thinking about that in our stories. And I'm, the question for us is, are we living in a way that gives us permission to speak into others' lives. When these guys looked at Paul, they saw he waited for two years. He suffered. He was willing to endure um, for, for, uh, for, for Christ uh, in order to speak. And I wonder, are we also living lives that give us permission, quote-unquote, to speak into people's lives? Do people want to ask questions about the hope that we have, the, the, the things that we have overcome, and how are we speaking? Sometimes we get mad at what's going on in the world, and, and we want things to change, but are we living in a way that people want to know what's different about us? Not everyone will want to hear our story. Not everyone will want to hear, but if we live in a way that's profound, if we love like Jesus, if, if we have the fruits of the Spirit— then that opens doors, maybe not to all people, but to some people. God gave us good news. Are we good news in the way that we live? Are we good news in the way that we interact uh, with others? And what I'm saying by earning permission, I'm not saying you have to wait for two years to share your story, because you may not have two years. That's the other thing, right? Like, take advantage of the moment but also live a life that people ask questions about. Like, why are you different? A good different, not a bad different, right? No. But live in a way that earns permission from others to speak. And so Paul wasn't there. Also, Paul wasn't there to take really anyone down or the system down or anything like that. He was there to lift Christ up with his life. And he was there to give an answer for the hope that was inside of him. And so he defended his faith. And listen to the respect with which he talks to these men. He says, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you. He says, I beg you to listen to me patiently. He's being respectful of their authority. He's, he's entering into a dialogue. He's treating them with respect. He's not sharing his story as a power play. He's coming before them humbly. It's the opposite. It's like, please, hear me out. I have something to say. Even though he's waited for so long, even though injustice has been done to him, he's willing to wait. And he tells his story, and he makes his case, specifically with his audience in mind. You know, the, the Jewish leadership. Because he was a militant Pharisee at one point going around terrorizing Christians, and now he's the complete opposite. He is a zealous, patient, long-suffering Christ follower. And he's honest, 
and he's bold, and he reasons with them. He reasons with them. He asks them questions. Is it too radical to believe that, that Jesus could be the Savior that you've been waiting for, longing for? Is it too hard to believe in the resurrection? I mean, God is God, right? Couldn't God raise someone from the dead? And so as he tells his story, he doesn't just bark at them. He comes down to their level and reasons with them. And I love this next part. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul just lays it open. I have done all of this stuff, and I'm not proud of it. But I think the key words are the first two. I myself. I myself. He begins with those words, I myself. And I think those are the most powerful words, most compelling words of this story. Because what he's saying is, I know what you're going through. I myself went after Christians. I myself voted to kill them. I myself was caught up in a rage and fury. I get it. I understand. And I think there's so much power in those words, I myself. If we know what we've been through, if we know like the, what we've suffered through, our mistakes, like I myself have had problems, uh, I myself have had anxiety, I myself have been angry with God, I myself have been addicted to X, Y, and Z, I myself have had hated my life, you know, whatever it is, someone connects with that. Someone connects with your story. When you go through something and you see the redemption of God in your life, someone connects with it. Maybe not everyone, but someone. And so I want you to consider this as we talk about telling our story. Who would benefit most from hearing your redemption story? Who would benefit most from hearing your redemption story? What God has redeemed you from. And if you're wondering, God, who am I called to? What am I called to? What do I need to do? Maybe start there. Who would benefit from me telling their story? And maybe I need to work with those people or hang out with those people. And so ask God to show you who that is. And I know this too. As, as we talk about sharing our story and telling our story, I know a lot of us are still carrying questions. Like, when is God going to show up for me? Or carrying shame. Like, I haven't experienced victory in my life yet. And what I want to say to you today is not to be discouraged because God's brought you this far, and he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's what it says in James. So don't be discouraged. God's brought you this far, and he's not done. And also, there are people in this room who've probably been through something like what you've been through, who could say, I myself, dot, dot, dot. Because the good news is that God is not angry, that God is patient and kind, that Paul says in Romans that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, that God is a very safe God to repent to. 
that he won't throw us away when we turn. He'll meet us like we see in Luke 15 with the father running to the son, that he's right there ready to run to us. And so finally, Paul gets to the main point of his story. And hopefully the main point of our story is an encounter with Jesus is an encounter with Jesus and how that changes everything. This is what he says in Acts 26, 12. He says, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Paul's giving the account we, we went through in Acts 9. Paul's reliving the moment when he encountered Jesus, because that's the moment where everything changes. And hopefully in your story, that's the moment where everything changes, whether it's encountering Jesus once or in different parts of your life where he changes everything for you. Because when we don't change without encountering the power of Jesus, the gospel is not that we're so good that we worked ourselves to our goodness, but that we found a good God. And that we found salvation in a God who is patient and that he changed us and that he is still changing us. And I wonder how many of us can speak to that transformation. Can you speak to that transformation in your life? Or do you want to? Because it's there and it's available. That encounter with Jesus. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter how you grew up or, or where you grew up or if you were on the streets or in the church or if you were addicted to stuff, or if you were the golden child of your family, we all need to encounter Jesus. We all need that encounter. Because really our problem is all the same. Whether you grew up in a religious environment, grew up on the streets, or somewhere in between, we all have the same issue, and it's dark hearts. We all have dark hearts. And all of us at some point in our lives needed Jesus to rescue us from that darkness. Because you can still go to church, you can go to church your whole life and still hate people. You can go to church your whole life and still be all about you. You can go to church your whole life and still live in fear and still chase money and still do, like, just have a heart that's very far from God. But it's encountering Jesus, it's that moment where he sets us free from all of that. Whether we're, we're trying to be good on our own or whether we're, you know, just kind of chasing everything, wherever that is, encountering Jesus is where it all changes. For, for Paul, he, was, he had a dark heart, and he was blinded by religious rage, right? He was zealous to keep uh, his, his Jewish religion unthreatened by this new, uh, new little um, group of people called the Way. And in his religious zeal, it blinded him to his anger, his rage, and as he's going out and, and uh, approving the deaths of Christians. And so what I want to say to you today is that every story of transformation is powerful and will speak to, to different people. 
you have a story that other people need to hear. And so Paul transitions from telling his story to telling God's story. He shows how it all intersects. And what I notice, and, and as we close, I want you to notice two things about Paul. Paul's always unapologetic about his story. He doesn't, he, he's at peace with it, right? Even the, the parts that are dark, he's at peace with because he knows God has redeemed him. And he's also unambiguous. Like he knows where his hope is. It's in Jesus. He's not afraid to talk about Jesus. He's not afraid to share the gospel. So he's unapologetic and he's unambiguous. And this is what he says in verse 24. He says, and he, this is how actually um, they respond to him and how he responds back. It says, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Isn't that the response you want to hear? All right, after, after being vulnerable and sharing your story? But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. He's still very respectful. But I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful that he was... He wasn't so much about defending himself as getting the message of Jesus across to, to all, all people, whatever situation he had, these rulers. And he's unapologetic and he's unambiguous. He's, he owns his story. He can own his story because Christ has owned his sin, right? He can own his story because Christ has owned his sin and it's not about what he's done but because of what Christ has done for him. And so for you, you don't have to apologize for your past to anyone. God has reconciled that. As we talked about, the, 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 the greatness of his mercy, when we trust Jesus, we are forgiven from all of that. And so we get to live like that. We get to live forgiven. And Paul is also unambiguous. Like, he's not afraid to tell anybody about Jesus. And he, he presses, uh, presses King Agrippa there. He tries to really get him to believe and, um, and I wonder, I would love to hear the tone of what, how King Agrippa responded. I think he was half serious, like he was half compelled. Of course, it would be a shocking thing for him to, like, commit to following Christ, right? That would kind of turn everything upside down. He's too powerful. He's too high and mighty. And so, um, but you, you wonder if he was actually moved. But the thing about Paul, he doesn't care about the reaction, He's just faithful to tell the story. And so my prayer for us, and um, worship team, you guys can come on up, but my prayer for us would just be that, that we'd be so confident in what God has done for us that we would be able to tell our story without apology and, and unambiguously. We could just share the good news of Jesus because we know it. We know what he's done for us. We know the power of his life. And so that's, that's my prayer for us.
Um, that's my prayer, is that Jesus would continue to lead us in the truth and, and that we could share this truth with others, not just as some, some objective statement, but something that we know personally because we've encountered Jesus. And if you're here today and, and, and you are seeking that encounter with Jesus, I just want to pray for that this morning and know that we want that for you too. And we want to walk with you. And if you have never encountered Jesus before, find me, find someone. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to talk with you more about that. But let's go ahead and pray now. Lord, I thank you, God, that sitting in this room, there are stories of redemption. God, there are stories of your work. Lord, there are stories of uh, of encounters with Jesus that have really changed our lives. And Lord, sometimes life can feel really shaky. God, sometimes life can can throw us challenges, God, that, that we're not expecting. And Lord, but help us not lose the, the long perspective of what you've been doing in our life. Lord, help us not lose perspective of, of where, what you've brought us from. And I pray that, God, if, if we need an encounter with Jesus today, if we need you to meet us in the road, if we're going 180 degrees in the wrong direction, God, that you would intercept us. Lord, that you would help us crash into you, that you'd be a wall that we just hit, Lord, and that you would miraculously change our path. Lord, change our life. Lord, none of us are perfect and none of our stories are done. And Lord, it may be any sort of issue that we're dealing with where we just need to run into Jesus. We just need to encounter the transformation that can only happen in you. Because it's not just transforming our behavior, it's transforming our heart. And Lord, I pray that you would transform all the dark places in our hearts. Lord, all the, all the places where, where, where we haven't experienced victory and freedom, God, transform it. Help us to encounter you. God, none of our stories are complete. We're all in process. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue that work of transformation. And, and Lord, help us to get to a place where we feel so confident about your work in us that we live unapologetically and unambiguously for you. Lord, that, that, that our church would be unapologetic God, about what you've done and who you are and unambiguous, that we would be able to share the name of Jesus and see the power of, of, of what you only can do. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.